0: Strange things are afoot at the Circle K. I'm very important. Uh, I have any leather-bound book, and my apartment smells of rich mahogany. I, I'm friends with Merlin Olsen too. He comes over on occasion. Thank you for tuning in, turning on, downloading. Um, we're, we're making a lot of headway on iTunes. I think we have like three downloads and two of them are mine. So, man, that's fantastic. But uh, anyway, if you found this podcast, I appreciate it. And uh, I will try to be somewhat entertaining, somewhat informative and somewhat idiotic. Nevertheless, this is a special edition of Strange Things Are Afoot at the Circle K UFC edition. This will be the second UFC edition. I will do more UFC editions, probably close to major fight cards. Uh, This is just a fight night, but it was, um, I thought, an exciting one uh, because the women's bantamweight is probably uh, one of my favorite weight divisions to watch um i've always enjoyed the women's divisions both of them and well there's about to be three of them but uh women's band and weight has always been entertaining and, and and women in mma have always been entertaining for a long time since gina carano first uh w- was entertaining me in strike force so um <clears throat> Shevchenko versus pena just got uh just got through um Watch the press conference, so there's a lot a lot to talk about. Let's start uh, a little bit farther down the card. Um, algermaine Sterling versus uh, Rafael Assuncao. Um It was a really close fight. algermaine Sterling got a second straight loss. Um, you know, it's going to be tough. That's uh, They're having a tough time there at, at the uh, Longo Serra um, fight camp. There's uh you know Chris Weidman and uh, Jermaine Sterling, Ally Aquinta. None of them are are you know doing very well. Ally Aquinta looks like he's retired from MMA. Um, tough loss by Chris Weidman, in his last outing, um, last couple outings, I should say. And Jermaine Sterling um, has looked probably the best out of out of. Uh, out of those three, but, um, nonetheless, he's lost his last two. Uh, it's a tough one, but you know, the kid's young and got tons and tons of talent. So, um, I don't think it's going to be that big of a hiccup. Um, he's, you know, he's just moved up in competition quite a bit. So, uh, you know, Rafael and Sun out looked like for a while that he was going to be a number one or number two contender, um, he had a good fight with TJ Dillashaw. I think he, he just was under underprepared for what TJ Dillashaw brings to the table, but he also beat him before, so um you know, he's a uh, he's definitely in the top 3 or 4 in that division, so I'm not surprised. Uh but Sterling, you know, hung with him and he's right up there. Uh, sorry, I'm drinking into the microphone again. My bi antioxidant super tea. It's very delicious. Anyway, so next fight that is of note, I guess. Um, Nate Marcor, uh lost. Uh, not a, wasn't a, uh, a big, um, I don't know, it wasn't a, a super exciting fight. But uh, Smiling Sam Alvey got the win there. Now, moving on to the main card, first fight, uh, Bruce Leroy. Uh, fighting that kid from Mississippi, Knight, I believe his last name was. I've never seen Knight fight before, uh, not that I remember at least, but he looked good. He looked real good. Uh, Bruce Leroy looked, looked like he was doing well. Uh, he had decent head movement. Um, he started to get a rhythm, and then he just, uh, you know, the pressure – um, the physical pressure that this guy Knight was putting on him uh, just proved to be the difference, and was super aggressive and and was opportunistic. Got his back, choked him out. Uh, it was a good finish. So, uh, you know, Alex Caceres is a fun fighter to watch, but you know, I really don't know where this puts him in the division. Um, hopefully, he can uh, he can bounce back. He's just um, he's very long and lanky, but. Uh, it just seems like he gets tossed around a lot at this at this weight division so um, maybe he's got to put on a little bit of mass I, d- I don't know I mean uh, not that that answers that that's the answer to to to, to everyone um, you know I don't know what that would do to someone striking or whatever and not that it's that easy but um, strength conditioning program might uh, might do him some good but uh, you know, I'm just a fan, I don't train. I can't uh you know, give a fair assessment of that cuz, you know, he it's not like he got outclassed, he just you know, he, he he to be quite honest, he had his back for a long time and and he had some very good defense and uh Knight had a very tight body lock on him for a, for the entire time. Um and he finally caught him in the end. So, um you know, no no disrespect to Alex Casares cuz he uh he was showing some very uh, promising defense and it looked like that he almost turned into it, uh, uh, was able to um, not reverse the position, but just get get him off his back. But, um, you know, some good hand fighting and, you know, it's just tough when somebody has that body lock on to, to get out of it, especially when they got three minutes in the round to work. So um, the next fight, uh, the heavyweight division, Arlovsky. Versus Ngannou. Um, if you listened to my first UFC podcast when I was talking about this fight card coming up, um, you know I pretty much called it that. Uh, Ngannou's the future. Arlovski's uh, old school, right? I didn't know if it would be this quick. Um, I knew that there was a chance. You know, of course, if these heavyweights, either one of them, anybody gets caught. Um, it could be game over, but, you know, Arlovsky, Overeem, some of these, some of these older fighters, they've just taken so much punishment. They've been, you know, once you've been, had your lights shut off a couple times, when you're fighting a guy like Ngannou, it's not going to take much to, to get rocked. And, you know, that, that's not a formula for success to say, well, I'm not going to, I'm not going to get hit against a guy like that because his boxing is, 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 very high level, um, high enough that he's going to put hands on you. So, um, you know, Arlovsky, he, it's hard to assess because it was, you know, in the, in the first minute and a half, he got knocked out. So, um, you know, of course, changing, changing levels, uh, trying to, Uh, take it to the ground i don't know would work i mean you could armchair quarterback that all day and say you should have should have could have would have you know but uh you know it just uh it's hard to tell a heavyweight um time to hang it up because the division itself is so old you have so many old timers and so many uh People that Arlovsky can still match up against, but uh, you know it's it's nearing the end of the road for Arlovsky, Definitely, um, he's had a really good run, uh, second run in the UFC, and uh, I wish him the best. He is a fun fighter to watch, but I don't know what else, what other skills he can learn to try to to try to keep up with someone like him or uh, Derek Lewis. I, I just you know, um, of course, when he and those are the guys that are like the the mid tier, you know, number 8, number 7 fighters once you crack the like top 4. Um I don't really know what he's going to be able to do to compete against those guys, you know, your your Cain Velasquez, your Junior dos Santos, your Stipe Miocic, So um you know, might be the end of the road for Arlovsky, but the good news is Ngannou is Showing that the heavyweight division has some new blood in it. Him and Derek Lewis, for me, um, is it's exciting to watch some new faces. Kind of, it's it's interesting in the heavyweight division again. Um, You know, you need to inject some new blood in there. Now, neither one of those two gentlemen that I just spoke of are. They're not ready yet for the big show, meaning top five, in my opinion. Um, Travis Brown is definitely a good test for the Black Beast, Derek Lewis, coming up. Because Brown is kind of on the way down. Derek Lewis kind of on his way up. So we will see if he is ready for that level of competition. But Nganu, he's looked so good... But, um, you know, when you look at some really smart fighters, uh, the Junior Dos Santos, uh, Cain Velasquez, Verbicio Verdum, I think that they would match up pretty well against Ngannou. Only time will tell, but he definitely is the future. I I can uh, totally buy that he will be a heavyweight champion within the next two years. I will definitely put my money on that, especially with guys like Kane. I think his the clock's ticking on that dude because, you know, he gets hurt, uh, you know, getting out of bed in the morning. Um, this dude is so fucking beat up, and he's, uh, he's too tough for his own good. But, you know, Father Time uh, is knocking on his fucking door, and sooner or later, you know, when you're younger, you can tough through a lot of injuries, but when you get to a certain age, you can't ignore that shit anymore. And, and, uh, you know, he's in his thirties now. That's, that's going to catch up to him. So, um, you know, in the next two years, I don't see Cam Valeska's even in the picture. So, uh, and Junior Dos Santos, he's getting a little long in the tooth as well for Briso Doom, is in his forties. Um, Alistair Overeem, uh, if you blow on that motherfucker, he's going to, he's, he's going to go unconscious. So, you know, what else does the heavyweight division have to offer? Um, you know, Ngannou has a very good shot if he stays the course and keeps training hard that he will have that built around his waist. You know, Stipe Miocic is the only one that I see um, that that could possibly make a run. Um, I mean, he's already kind of making a run, but, you, you know, he's he's talented. He's, he's young enough. He's tough enough. Um, he's got the power. Uh, But, man, I would not want to face Nganu right now. Okay. On to the co-main event, which was, um, or, you know, I I guess it was a co-main event, but uh, Mas Fadal versus Cowboy Cerrone. Um, If you listen to my first UFC podcast, um, breaking down what these fights might look like, I pretty much said Cowboy Cerrone is probably one of the most talented fighters in the, uh, in the whole UFC on the roster. When he is on, I will literally put him up against anyone from 155 to the, you know, all, all the way to the top dudes at 185, all the way to like number six maybe, you know? I mean, that's how talented that guy is. With that being said, when Cerrone is off, he is way off. I mean, look at all of Cerrone's losses. Everybody he's lost to, he's pretty much got run through. I mean, he didn't get run through tonight. I mean, he was he he was starting to find a rhythm, but but uh, then he got caught, and then he just he, and he just couldn't recover and um, was just about out in the first round, and then the second round, he just wasn't there. So. Um, he just didn't have it tonight but he's still probably one of the most exciting fighters to watch and and just from a pure st- talent standpoint um one of the best fighters in the UFC you know Cerrone is is kind of a weird person because he needs his his time away from fighting and he needs um it's 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 hard to determine what's going wrong with him because you know he won four in a row at a at a new weight division he just looked like he was unstoppable and the, and he does that he just looks unbeatable and then he just hits a brick wall and i don't know if it's just him getting in his own way he's trying to get fight too much he's not Um, who, who knows, you know, I mean, from coming from somebody that's just a fan like myself, that's not a fighter. Um, I, I have no idea what, what the correct combination is. Um, I think at the end of the day, it's just, uh, you don't know what cowboy you're going to get, but when he gets in a rhythm, um, you know he's he's always going to be competitive and he, he could definitely hold a title it's just it just seems like once he gets um to a certain tier of of competition um he just can't sometimes put it together always so um you know we'll see what the future holds for cowboy he will be back i'm sure sooner rather than later and will avenge this loss i'm sure um you know, he's a gamer. He's one of those dudes that, you know, you can, you can put him up against anybody. Um, and if he fights smart and fights his fight, he, he's going to win now onto the main event, which was a very interesting fight and one that, uh, you know, I definitely didn't call it. I don't think anybody called it, but I did say in, in my last podcast that, uh, Valentina Shevchenko is no slouch on the ground. I mean, go back and listen to that podcast. And I said, you know, she's taking everybody down. Um, I mean, she looked damn good against Nunez in that third round. I mean, if that was a five round fight, she, I think she would have won. And she was reversing positions. She was holding her own on the ground. I mean, don't get me wrong. She was getting beat up, but she wasn't, she was still in the fight. Um, and she, she, she looks strong with her takedowns against Holly Holm she looks strong uh with her with her uh takedowns just about i think every UFC fighter that she's fought thus far um so i i don't know if people were sleeping on her um i don't think they're sleeping on her as much as it's you know we're still kind of in that old school mentality where we want to put fighters in a category of striker grappler wrestler and it's very interesting because the the women's bantamweight has been very one-dimensional until just uh you know a little while ago and think about all the champions that they've had you know starting with ronda rousey ex- extremely one-dimensional fighter uh holly home well no brainer there very one-dimensional. Even Misha Tate, you know, she was tough, but she was very one-dimensional. I mean, her her boxing was coming along, but, I mean, her kicks just sucked. She had no speed, no hand speed, no, you know, she was elusive. She was a smart fighter, but she wasn't well-rounded in the sense that, that she was, you know, um, she was knocking girls down that were kind of at the same level as she was when she gets in there uh, against an elite striker, she could do nothing. Nunez, if it was Shevchenko, which she never fought, or if it was you know Holly Holm, um, she couldn't strike with them. Uh, she could be elusive and and time a takedown and stuff like that, but that's that was her thing: is take down, grind it out, put them up against a fence, and it was just about that. Um, I think the only fighter that is. As uh, well-rounded of those old-school fighters as Kat Um she when she puts when when she puts it all together, I don't think she really has yet. Um, she's going to be right up there on those top tiers because she could I she could stand with any of them. She has that level of talent. She has very good Mu- muay Thai. She has very good clinches, very good clinches, uh, good knees, good elbows. Uh, good, Very good wrestling. Underrated grappling. Um, uh, Jiu-Jitsu. Very good at reversing the positions. Awesome in scrambles. She just is overly aggressive. She's almost too aggressive for her own good because she just sometimes gets in bad positions. Uh, but uh, she has the toughness, the tenacity, the talent. She has all that. But up to this point, every other fighter has been... Uh, kind of a one-trick pony, and it's been style versus style, kind of like the UFC in 2004. But um, let me take a drink of my buy. (sighs) Mm, Antioxidants taste good. But we're in a new era now. And when you saw Amanda Nunes win the title, uh, beat Misha Tate, and then later beat Ronda Rousey. You see something that looks one-dimensional because she's just blasting girls in the face. Um, but you know she has a black belt, uh, black belt on the ground. Uh, she has good, good uh, jiu-jitsu. Um, but it's hard to tell how good because black belts are kind of a dime a dozen in the UFC now, and. Th- one thing I've noticed is there's definitely levels to black belts. Uh, there's black belts, and then there's black belts. You know, there's there's people. It's like, oh, this guy's a black belt, and then there's like Damien Maya and Jacare and Verdum. Um, you know, those people are, are on a different level. Um, you you you. Um, you see people that don't even have black belts that seem to be very good at submissions. Um, they're they just have you know they're they're not high level jujitsu, but what they do well, they do very well. You know, Cerrone I don't think is a black belt, and he he uh, he's just he's very good at transitioning into stuff, and and his jujitsu's offensive jujitsu is really good. Other people have very good d- defensive jujitsu, uh, like Rashad Evans. But nevertheless, um, Nunez is a well-rounded fighter. She she doesn't she she didn't have to depend on just one thing. What I'm saying is, no one's going to go into a Nunez fight and go, "Oh, only thing you got to do to negate her strikes is to take her down." I mean, that's what you think against Holly Holm. That's what people thought against Shevchenko. Um, Ronda Rousey was the opposite. No, just you know, keep her on her heels or uh, counter punch her, um, but keep and keep the distance. Don't let her get an upper body clinch on you. I mean, you don't have to worry about her shooting on you. She can't wrestle, and she can box decent, except uh, against high level strikers. And she can't. I mean, she can't even come close to hanging. Well, now you have someone like Shevchenko, who holds her own against. Um, elite level grapplers and she just rolls over elite level strikers. And I don't even know if you can say she holds her own against elite level grapplers because I would say Juliana Pena is definitely in the top one or two for grapplers in her division. I can't think of anybody right off the top of my head except Ronda Rousey that would be in the same category as her just in pure grappling. That's what she's known for, um, as, as her ground and pound her, her, uh, submissions, her, you know, just her, her pressure. And she was a lot bigger than Shevchenko and Shevchenko took her down twice. Shevchenko was on the bottom and got an arm bar and tapped her out. That says something. Um, Pena grappled with her the entire fight. Didn't stand and trade at all. I mean, grappled with her, relentlessly tried to take her down, got under her hips, had her up against the fence, uh, was clenching with her, kneeing her, and she just could not wear down Shevchenko. And she was a lot bigger than Shevchenko. That, that should tell you something. That's scary. And it's scary because, you know, Shevchenko, um, she's strong, but she is very small for the division. And she wasn't even coming close to being outclassed. Now, she was being controlled by Pena. You could tell Pena had the size, but by no means was she getting worked over. Um, she was she was just holding her own until she and then she exploited those openings that Pena gave her. I mean that's that right there is the mark of a of a seasoned veteran and of somebody that is uh, scary in the octagon when when they're an opportunist, not somebody that forces it, not somebody that's over aggressive. This is a smart fighter. This is someone that's been in a lot of fights. This is someone that beat Yoanny Jekjek and and uh, Muay Thai. This is someone that is a highly decorated Muay Thai fighter and now is committed to mixed martial arts. And who knows how her wrestling is. The, what, what I see that she's uh, got some decent takedowns, but it's more derived from the Muay Thai type takedowns, a lot of trips and, and things like that. But, I mean, that armbar against Juliana Pena, maybe Juliana Pena just underestimated her, but it was uh, an eye-opening thing. And so we're finally seeing women's MMA, uh, some, uh, I should say women's bantamweight. You're, you're seeing some well-rounded fighters. You're seeing uh, the next title fight is going to be the first time that we're seeing two well-rounded fighters going at each other for the title. Not striker versus grappler, not wrestler versus judo, not, you know, I mean, that's, think of every single fight. When Ronda Rousey was making her meteoric rise, it was always this versus this and judo versus this. And then, you know, and then it's like, well, my boxing is just as good as betches, you know. And uh, there for a while, it looked like, well, Ronda Rousey had a couple tools. But she was not even close to being a complete martial artist. She didn't kick. She didn't wrestle. Shevchenko can kick. She can punch. She can uh, ground and pound. She can... Uh, she can wrestle. She can take down. She obviously has jujitsu. She can play the clinch. That is a complete mixed martial artist. All those things. That's what John Jones does. That's what John Jones. Why uh, he is has been unbeatable because he can do all those things and he can do them all well. I mean, he went on a run there where he was his jujitsu just looked phenomenal. When uh, you know he choked out Machida and. Um, you know, each um, submitted VTOR. I mean, those are two black belts on the ground, Brazilian black belts. And then he outstrikes people, then he out wrestles an Olympian. I mean, th- that's like right out of the John Jones playbook. That's why the women's division is getting exciting when you have people like that. When you can't go, okay, this person's just gonna run over this person. Remember when Cejudo? Everyone's like, can, can Mighty Mouse negate Cejudo's gold medal wrestling? And we found out the answer to that. That's when mixed martial arts is exciting. When 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 people are at this high level, and they're facing someone else that's at a very high level, and 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 not can their this beat their this, but can the other person show that maybe they're being underestimated in that category and that's what Shevchenko showed tonight very impressive win uh she she when she fought Holly Holm I'm a Holly Holm fan I wanted Holly to win but it was man she just she made Holly Holm look bad actually and uh it makes me very scared for Holly Holm when she fights Jermaine Durandame because Jermaine Durandame is more de- decorated than Shevchenko is and striking. So, um, but once again, look at that 145 pound title, not to jump around here, but you know, while I'm on the subject of one dimensional fighters, I mean, that's what that division is. It's, is you got one, you know, striker versus another striker, you know, so it's gonna take a while to get those divisions up to up to speed. Now, I was an advocate for the one forty five division for obvious reasons. I think everybody has the same intention; uh, they want to see cyborg fucking merc chicks. They want to see cyborg commit the first murder in the fucking octagon. Um, but nevertheless, um, you know. We have it now without Cyborg, but man, how awesome would it be to have a 125? I mean, you'd have Shevchenko versus Joanna. Again, you would have Joanne Calderwood, who is one of my favorite fighters, but she just is too big for 115. She has to cut a lot of weight, and she's way too small for 135. Valerina Letourneau is in that is in that group jessica andrage i mean there's a there's a lot of fighters that are kind of in that in that in between i would love to see a 125 i think it would be it would be phenomenal to see that but uh um you know because someone like uh michelle Waterson should be what a 155 or 115 pounder should be i mean she she could be champion if all those other girls would move up to 125, uh, but there's so many big girls, uh, quote unquote, for the 115 division where they cut a lot of weight, that it's going to be hard for someone like Watterson to, to to crack that top, you know, three or four. There's you know, it's it's going to be tough for her. you know. I'm a big fan, but we'll we'll see. But that uh, 125 pound division would be something. I think that would be uh, beneficial in the long-term for women's MMA. Invicta already has it, and I'm a big fan of Invicta. so. And, uh, you know, it's kind of a, a catch-22. I don't want um, UFC to completely just farm all of Invicta's talent, but uh, I'm pretty sure that's probably why Zufa bought it in the first place to be kind of the the farm team for women's MMA. But uh, anyway, I digress. Um so, it was a it was a phenomenal fight. It was an eye opening fight, and uh, any time that you have a fight like that, that it, it, that it opens your eyes to some new possibilities, it's interesting, because now every single woman in that division has to take notice. Like, well, the recipe for beating her is not taking her down, is <laughs> not you know we're that's not the recipe. So that's interesting. Um, during the press conference, uh, they talked a little bit about, uh, Dana White was actually on the press conference, which was which was nice. Um, I'm actually a Dana White fan in the sense of, um, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he has done for the sport of mixed martial arts. And uh, people just love to hate on him and people hate, uh, you know, just love to, 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 to try to dig at him for being the cause of every fucking problem that's in the UFC. But, uh, I'm not one of those people. Um, I, I'm not afraid of criticizing, uh, things that he says. He is definitely a promoter. He definitely does not always tell the truth about shit, but you know, it's like anything else. You, you, sometimes you can't show your hand because you're trying to, you know, uh, promote a fight at a certain time. So you're not going to say exactly, you know, you're, you're not going to announce something before it's, before you can. And so you might, you know, kind of head fake left. And so, you know, uh, and then end up going right later on. That's, I don't have a problem with that. <clears throat> but he was uh, asked about Conor McGregor. For those of you who don't know, Conor McGregor had a pay-per-view interview today. That's interesting. So he charged money to uh for people to to watch him um be interviewed. And they asked him lots of lots of questions, but mainly about like Floyd Mayweather and all that shit. And he said, uh, I'm paraphrasing here that his next fight is going to be against Floyd Mayweather or a boxing fight. He alluded to Manny Pacquiao or Floyd Mayweather some and basically, he said, fuck you, to the UFC. And uh, I found this a little unsettling. Now, I'm a Conor McGregor fan. I'm definitely not a super fan. I'm definitely not a fanboy. I'm a fan of what he does for the sport. I'm a fan that he is a fighter's fighter in the sense of that he just wants to go in there and throw down. He's not scared of anybody, talk shit, bloody, bloody, blah blah He brings a lot of eyes on the sport, so I like that. But I am not a Conor McGregor fan in the sense of that I think he's the greatest of all time or even close. Um, I don't get where people think that you can be the greatest of all time when you've never even defended a championship. He's won two and defended zero. Um, and I'm not talking about that bullshit intern title. That doesn't count Um You need to defend your belt. How can you say that someone is the best of all time? When you have people out there that have defended the belt three, four, five, six, seven times, right? Um, You know, Anderson Silva and John Jones, those are the two. You know, you can throw GSP in there, um, and I don't have a problem with that. But if it's not those three, you can't really... You know, Conor McGregor's not even in the conversation of being the greatest of all time. He could. He definitely could. But this has a serious impact on, on that legacy. It really bothers me that he seems to have gotten too big for his britches. And I said this in the last podcast. And if you think that Conor McGregor is underpaid because he brought whatever revenue to the UFC, I'm not going to rehash everything I said, but like I said before, the UFC is the company that invested all the money in Conor McGregor. They took all the risk, so they deserve to make more money on him from a promotional standpoint. But he's still getting paid. He made $25 million when just three years ago, nobody knew who the fuck he was. And he was a two-weight world champion, quote-unquote world champion. He was a two-weight champion in another organization, and nobody knew who the fuck he was. So obviously he needed the UFC, or he would, I mean, how much would Conor McGregor be worth right now if he never got signed by the UFC? And if you say, well, he could have went to Bellator, fuck you, man. Watch Bellator sometime, and tell me that that is elite fighters, no, they have a a couple, but look at all the fighters from the UFC that went over there. What is their fucking combined record? You know, they're not, they're not killing it over there, you know, because they're, they're probably a little bit past their prime when they, when they go over to Bellator, but Bellator, um, it's kind of a joke organization right now, in my opinion. Uh, so nobody, nobody cares about it when there's a Bellator event, doesn't make, you know, a big news media or anything. It's just, it's just it's not it's not for me you know I, I try to watch uh i'm a fan of a couple of their fighters i would like to see them in the ufc but um you know it's kind of like watching uh uh you know if you're a baseball fan watching you know like a cuban league or a japanese league and go man that guy's dominating i wonder how he would do in major league baseball and it's kind of like that for me um but anyway, McGregor would not be who McGregor is now if it wasn't for the UFC and their promotional machine making him into what they have made him into. And now he thinks he deserves ownership stake, or he says fuck the UFC, or I'll make this fight without you guys. Uh, I'll, you know, he has a fucking contract, and it bugs me when 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 you see fans that it's only one sided. If the UFC cuts somebody from their fucking contract Because they've lost three in a row um, They get all fucking pissy with the UFC You know I, I don't understand Why It doesn't go both ways When the fighter doesn't want to finish out their contract You People are still against the UFC No matter if it's GSP No matter if it's um, Whoever You know he has a contract with the UFC. The UFC invested in him. And when he says, well, nobody owns me, it's, it's not an ownership thing. You're an employee or an independent contractor, however you want to say it, but you signed a contract for exclusive rights. And you can't renegotiate that contract once you've blown up because the UFC blew you up. Never forget where you came from. I mean, if you want to have your own promotion after your contract is done, go ahead. But it doesn't erase the fact that the UFC made you a star, put you on the map, spent millions of dollars promoting you. And they've promoted other people and it didn't turn out well for them. You know, they take the risk. They're the ones getting lawsuits. They're the ones with you know uh, with the movie deals and with the TV deals and all that stuff. If if they wouldn't have done that early on, if Dana White didn't do what he did to get on Fox, to get the pay per view numbers up, to get on Good Morning America, all that shit, Conor McGregor would be a nobody, and he would not be worth twenty five million dollars. And I would suffice it to say he wouldn't be worth one million dollars. So it irks me as a UFC fan when I see UFC fighters that, just, that they just decide it's all about the money. I understand you're, you're putting yourself at risk. you got to get paid, but it just gets to be greed at a certain point. You're not doing it for the fans anymore. You're doing it for you and it's very transparent when that starts to happen and that's why you start to lose fans that's why Ronda started to lose fans and that's why Conor will lose fans if he says well I'm going to go box and just be some fucking circus sideshow who the fuck wants to see that you know just like James Tony versus fucking Randy Couture it was a fucking joke well I watch yes I'll fucking watch I'll watch if Conor McGregor I'll admit I'll watch him fight Floyd Mayweather but I'll watch in the same way that I'm, that I, you know, uh, w- would watch, you, know, uh, uh, you know, fucking David Blaine lock himself into a, a fucking coffin and be buried alive. You know, um, it's it's not because that uh, it's it's high level competition. It's that it's a freak show. It's uh, let me see what's going to happen but at the end of the day after it's happened it kind of leaves a bad taste in your mouth because let's say he knocks out Floyd Mayweather well good luck I guess we'll never see him in the octagon again because he's going to make so much fucking money the UFC won't can't afford to fucking pay him and his ego is going to be so fucking big uh, they're not even going to there's no way they could come to terms and his star would be too big, and so he's just gonna look to take bigger boxing matches or whatever. I don't even I I don't even want to try to figure that out. But if he gets obliterated by Floyd Mayweather, it makes UFC look bad. Now now our sport took a step back. Um, now he has to go back to the octagon with his tail between his legs, and his stock went down. And he's still gonna demand conor mcgregor type money and it might not be there who knows and you might have a lesser product or you might have a defeated fighter mentally and lo and behold we don't get the conor mcgregor that we want i want to see conor mcgregor versus khabib i want to see him versus tony ferguson i want to see him against Josie aldo i would like to see him against uh, half a dozen different fighters i want to see the conor mcgregor that was fighting every four months and had a chip on his shoulder. But now, like everyone else, just like the, Ro- the Rocky movies, he's made so much money, he's just going to go ahead and just be this prima donna and isn't a fighter's fighter anymore. Now he's a promotion machine. Now he's copywriting his name. Now he's he's doing all those things that people do when they get too big. Is For the first time, for the first time, on YouTube the other day, I saw him slap a camera out of somebody's hand that was taking a picture of him. That's always unsettling to me because when it's when it's someone like Conor McGregor that you saw, he just couldn't, you know, remember the, that promotional piece where he's driving around? Uh, I can't remember where he was driving around um, on his promotional tour. um I believe it's the Aldo one, it might have been the Eddie Alvarez, but I I can't remember. But he, he saw like a cardboard cutout of him on a balcony and he stopped and took a picture next to it and recorded it and and all that stuff and, and, and he generally was like, Man, people know who I am and this is great and he was enjoying it and, and in the last couple of months, after his last fight with Eddie Alvarez, the tables have turned. Now he thinks that he is the UFC. And I could not believe when he said that how many UFC fans agreed. And, and MMA journalist like uh, Luke Thomas agree. And I'm sorry, but Conor McGregor could go away tomorrow and the UFC will still be profitable. They will still make money and they will find another star. Will they find another Conor McGregor? I don't know. I don't know that Major League Baseball has ever found, uh, you know, Mark McGuire again. Remember when Mark McGuire was hitting seventy-five home runs, no matter if he was on fucking steroids or not. He was, he was, I mean, a on national TV all the time. His highlights. Has baseball ever fucking bounced back from that? I mean, who's the biggest star now? Who's on the Wheaties boxes? Who's on the news? Who's you know on tmz not a lot of them but baseball still profitable they still have the world series every year there's still tons of baseball fans and guess what one day there's going to be another mark McGuire. one day there's going to be another randy johnson another whoever basketball the same thing no michael jordan when you got lebron james now michael jordan was the greatest ever but I guarantee you LeBron James has almost as many fans, Steph Curry, some of these guys. Uh, There's always going to be somebody else. Everybody thinks that they're special, and you're not. You are not. I don't care how great you are. One of the the greatest artists of all time is Michelangelo. He painted the Sistine Chapel, and, and no one is ever going to overshadow what he did in the in the Sistine Chapel but there's been other famous artists after that and there's been people that are widely popular and made a lot of money it's not like it just well, Mike, Michelangelo's dead so no painting is going to happen ever again I just don't understand where people always they think that the UFC should, should sit there and kiss the, the ass of somebody that they made and when uh, Dana White said tonight that you know it's going to be very bad for Conor McGregor if he actually has that fuck you mentality the UFC and says I'm going to go fight and I'm not going to fulfill my con- contractual obligations, yeah, they absolutely should. That is their property. They made Conor McGregor. They should hold him to his fucking contract because he would hold them to their side of the contract. I mean, how many times has he renegotiated the contract? How many times have you heard fighters renegotiate a contract with UFC? I've heard quite a few. I mean, Tony Ferguson just did it. But explain to me this. When's the last time that you heard of a fighter signing a big deal You know, Hey, I'm on a new fight contract, and now I'm not making $80,000 a fight. I'm making $160,000 a fight show money. Then that person goes on a three-fight losing streak. Yeah, the UFC can cut them, but when's the last time you heard them say, Hey, we're not going to cut you, but we're going to renegotiate the contract, and we're going to pay you $80,000 again. Has that ever happened? Not to my knowledge. My point is that it, it can't just constantly be one-sided should there be a fighters union all that shit hey in all due time if that's what the fighters want they can do it but i hate to say it a fighters union is not going to solve all their problems they are choosing an individual sport they negotiate their contracts and as soon as they get some power they abuse it so what is wrong with the UFC because I don't see them abusing their power I don't I, I don't see it. I, I hear how much money these people are making um, undisclosed that, that that isn't listed or Dana White saying, hey, I'm gonna pay for this or hey, I'm gonna go ahead and give you your show money because you're you know someone didn't make weight. I mean that happens all the time and they don't have to. Do fighters have some bad deals? Sure, but they fucking signed up. They signed the contract. I don't understand if if $8,000 a fight is not enough for you to get punched in the head, knocked unconscious, then why are you fucking signing that contract? It's because you understand it's an opportunity. You understand at the time that it's like, hey, no one else is offering me $8,000 to get punched in the head. So that's how much you're worth. If you put your car on eBay right now, And you say your car's worth $12,000. And it's up there for a fucking year. And not one person will give you a dime over $8,000. Then guess what? That's how much your car's worth. It doesn't matter what the blue book says. It doesn't matter what the black book says. It doesn't matter what the Ford dealer says. Unless that Ford dealer is willing to give you $12,000. But if he's only willing to give you $8,000, and a hundred other people, that's all they're willing to give you, then guess what your car's worth? That's how you know how much something is worth. Something is only worth as much as someone is willing to pay for it. There's not a set price. And if someone is willing to give you $8,000, and that's not enough, then you need to go get a counteroffer somewhere else. And I hate to tell you this, but if you don't, then that's how much you're worth. Sorry. That's just the facts. And I love the fighters. I want the fighters to be taken care of. I really do. I wish all of them could make a million dollars. But if all of them made a million dollars, the UFC would not be what the UFC is. They would not be able to, to do what they do they deserve to make a profit as well now when you talk about you know share marketing and uh, or the the fair market and the the fair split and all that stuff that's that's another conversation for another time it really is because you can't talk about fair market when the majority of the people sign the fucking contract all of them do, but they they only complain when they hear how much someone else says they should be making. Someone like Ariel Hawani or Luke Thomas or, or some of these uh, uh, MMA broadcasters that have to fill a, a couple hours of content a week so they just, you know, make up some controversy or... They like to rile up fighters against the UFC, and you know they got a fucking axe to grind with Dana White or the UFC. So they just, so they just use their media influence and voice to do so. And I'm not saying that their that their opinion isn't valid because maybe they 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 honestly believe that these fighters deserve more. But when they were making, when a fighter makes three hundred dollars. Or $500 at the shows that they were making and then they go from $500 to $8,000 or $3,000 or whatever they make on the undercard. That's a pretty good jump up. That's a pretty significant bump up in pay. And they're not investing any more money than they were investing before. If anything, they're making more money because they can get more sponsors. Then don't tell me you can't have the sponsors on your shorts and shit like that. Well, you know, you can't have sponsors on your shorts on a fucking podcast and people still have sponsors. They still say, hey, fucking Squarespace. Hey, fucking, you know, MeUndies.com or whatever. There's creative ways of getting sponsors. There's lots of UFC fighters that have fucking sponsors. We don't need to have dipmycar.com on fucking DC's ass to, uh, for you guys to make some extra money. The UFC has the right to offer a fighter that is a nobody a few thousand dollars until they establish themselves. We have something in this country in the real world, you know, I like to talk about the real world because uh, that's the perspective of this podcast, but the real world has something called interns. And what an internship is, is saying, I am willing to do this job for next to nothing to get my foot in the door to show you how talented or how skilled that I am. So maybe later on it will lead To a well-paying job so let's break down that point so if a UFC fighter makes that negotiation says I will come to your organization for relatively little money to prove to you that I'm beneficial to your company then later you can pay me more Okay, so Conor McGregor comes to the UFC, and I guarantee from his first contract to what he makes now is he probably got a thousand percent fucking raise. Now, let's just talk about like Joe Schmo fucking that's on the undercard. Did his pay go up? Well, if you're a two and three fighter, why should your pay go up? No different than if I'm an intern that keeps fucking shit up why the hell should they offer me a big fucking salary there, there's something about when you do certain things in our society no matter if it's being an actor musician entertainer whatever but when people see the company they're work, making for making uh, working for excuse me is making billions or millions of dollars then they get mad that they're not getting their, quote-unquote, fair amount. But I don't know anyone at Apple that's making their fair amount either. And so you might have that, well, two wrongs don't make a right, fucking blah, 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 bullshit argument. But that's just the way the world is. Whoever assumes the most risk in that situation, when Apple, when the iPhone tanks and stock prices go down, They don't go to those fucking employees and say we're gonna pay you a dollar less an hour because our stock prices went down. They're they're assuming the fucking risk. Now they have every right to lay people off or whatever else, uh, but the market dictates how much you get paid. And I'm all for you know uh, raising the minimum wage and all that stuff, but but understand this: whatever the fair market value, whatever someone that the majority is willing to take for that job, then that's how much it's worth to do. And when you work at Walmart, when you work at uh, KFC, when you work at Apple, you don't negotiate your salary. You, it's an hourly rate and there, it's not up for negotiation. This is what you start and after six months, this is what you make and that's just how it's structured. There's, no, there's nothing to negotiate. But when you're in the UFC, when you're at, in a, a, a media company or an entertainment company, when you f- first get your first contract, I'm sure there's not a lot of negotiating. There's some negotiating because Sage Northcutt made more right off the bat. How do I know that? Because everybody bitched about it. But he's bringing more eyeballs than Joe Schmo over here. Now, if I was a, let's say the UFC fi- uh, signed me tomorrow. I don't have any fans. I'm not bringing anybody. There's nobody that's tuning in to see me. So, what am I worth? If, if it's 2000 or $8,000, i am getting a good deal. No matter if I'm getting punched in the head or not, I'm agreeing to get punched in the head. If it's not a good deal, then don't sign the contract. But if somebody that's super famous, no matter if it's CM Punk or Kimbo Slice, No matter if they're a good fighter or not, they are bringing revenue with them. They are adding zeros on the end of people's paychecks. No matter if it's the UFC or whoever, somebody's making more money or they wouldn't pay them that amount. They would not pay Brock Lesnar what they pay him unless he's bringing significantly more money than that. So if you believe that you are making people tune in or buy pay-per-views, then go ahead, ask for more money. You should, and I fully support, support that. But when you see fighters get on the mic and talk about how they're being treated and they're underpaid and all this stuff, and I'm like, I don't even know who that guy is. And, and chances are, if I don't know who you are, then nobody else does either. And so that means no one's tuning in for you. And so that means you're still in the opportunity stage where you're trying to get eyeballs on you. Every fighter in the UFC was a nobody at one time. And yeah, there's some prospects that are more hype than others, but if you go out there and you starch everybody, you're going to have eyeballs on you. And then you have an opportunity in your next contract to renegotiate. Just like at any company, if you work for Apple and you make minimum wage and then you somehow work your way up to management and you show that you can do something that no one else can, you now have some negotiating abilities. That's the only thing in this world that gives you negotiating abilities. Why does McDonald's not negotiate their minimum wage? Is because anybody can do that job, relatively speaking. But if it took some skill only 1% of Americans had, believe you me, you can negotiate that. When Navy SEALs and Army Green Berets get out of the military and they go do private contracting, trust me, they're not getting paid what they got paid in the military. They're getting paid three or four times more. Why? Because they're negotiating. They now have the power to negotiate because they are proven and they're tried and true. But someone off the streets can't go to, you know, Triple Canopy and say, I want to be a fucking sniper for you and negotiate a six-figure fucking salary. That's not how it fucking works. And so, you know, the UFC is not perfect. They're a company um, that has their best interest in mind. So that means there's going to be some people that get feelings hurt. So if a fighter, if they have a whole bunch of fighters on a fucking card and that card flops, they still pay those fucking fighters. They are assuming the risks. And so if they pay Conor McGregor a million and they make, you know, 50 million, they don't owe Conor McGregor anything except what Conor McGregor agreed to. And then they renegotiate and then they renegotiate, but they renegotiate when those contracts are up unless it's just a one-fight deal. I don't understand where the confusion is. When Conor McGregor says, fuck the UFC, he would not be saying that if he lost his last two fights. What would you think if Conor McGregor had a a I get $3 million a fight contract, and he lost his last two fights. You think the UFC would want to give him three million dollars for his next fight? They have two options either pay that or cut him. And I don't even understand if they cut him, if they still have to pay him. I don't know. But my point is that they're assuming the risk. They're assuming you know the the variable is how much pay-per-views is this going to buy. That's why they give back-end points and stuff like that. But the one thing that's not up in the air is that show money and that win bonus. That's guaranteed. And so it, it really irritates me when I see people... Um, Defend the fighters once they get such a big ego that they believe that they deserve something more than they're worth. Like I said, Conor McGregor is worth twenty-five million. He's absolutely worth twenty-five million. Not a fight. He might be worth five million a fight. Not talking about pay-per-view points, but he might be worth five million. But the market will dictate that. That's what I'm saying. You'll find out real quick. If the UFC says no, and Bellator says no, and 1FC says no, you find out real quick he is not worth that. UFC doesn't want to pay Fedor Emelianenko a million dollars a fight, but Ryzen will, and so he is worth that. He's just not worth it to the UFC. But never forget who gave you those opportunities. And if, and if it's time to move on, it's time to move on. But the UFC is the best organization out there. And I guarantee they pay their fighters and treat their fighters as well as anyone does. And if you don't think it's worth it, then don't do it. You know, I don't know when I went to Afghanistan and I made maybe $50,000 a year with my bonus... And the only reason I made 50000 is because it was tax-free. Because I was overseas. But I don't know that that was worth risking my life 200-plus times. Well, actually, I was in Afghanistan for uh, a year, so 365 days, um, you're risking your life. Because even when you're in your fucking base, you could get mortared or rocketed or anything else. So is that worth it? Well, if it's not, then I, I can get out. I can not do that anymore. But what I can't do is say yes i'm going to enlist in the army and get over there and go i don't like getting shot at i want to renegotiate my contract no i already signed my fucking contract no one's going to have any sympathy for me but we have to have sympathy for professional fighters someone that is doing something just to get famous and to be to get glory to get they're doing it they're prize fighters they're the they're the equivalent of mercenaries they are saying i will fight for money They're not saving lives. They're not performing miracles. They're entertaining and that's it. And I love it. I think that is enough. I think I've said enough and it's time for me to sign off. Um, Check us out on the website, footpodcast.com. We're on Stitcher. We're on iTunes. Uh, If you find this podcast, leave a comment. Um, that would be super cool. And hit me up on Twitter sometime. Tune in next time. Hope you everybody out there is uh, safe. And enjoy your life. Till next time. Bye-bye.